yeah, as I was just telling you, we are somewhat free agents when it comes to our podcast hosting platform now because Zencaster decided to change their policy and we're now only allowed two hours per month and it's a stretch to get two hours per episode from us. Even Zencaster knows we need to lower the time limit uh, on our episodes. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to figure that out. I'm not sure what the plan is moving forward. I guess if anyone listening is a fellow creator and has suggestions for us, uh, anything but Skype, that's the one that I'm going to shut down. Sorry, See, I, show. I have Skype, and even I will say no thanks to that. Yeah, I'm yeah, good. I think that there's, there's better options out there. But anyway, I don't want to waste too much of this 120 minutes we have. So <laughs> let's kind of get into this. And look, the best sports weekend of the year once again, did not disappoint. March Madness, first two rounds, just awesome. So much to get into with this one. It can disappoint your bracket, but in terms of entertainment, it will never disappoint. Yes, my bracket is absolutely busted at this point. I still have my national champion. (laughs) We'll talk about them. Uh, But I, I think when I think back on this weekend, there are probably a lot of different storylines that can be viewed as like the biggest thing, the most important thing. But it feels like it's hard to say that it's not a 16 seed beating a one seed just a second time ever. And like the East region, I think you and I have both been very vocal about how all over the place this was. Like, I hated this. You think it sucks, like everybody in it. And naturally, the number one seed goes down in the first game and just truly embarrassing fashion Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. Yeah, I was low on Purdue. Apparently, I wasn't low enough. <laughs> Yeah, I think picking them to lose in the second round was like reasonable. I never saw them losing in round one like that. The team that they lost to wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament because no, they didn't earn their way in. They didn't. They literally didn't earn their way in. Should have gotten in. Yeah, but I mean, the NCAA has a dumb transition rule to to prevent more teams from making the jump to Division One. I feel like there's a better way to do it than a four year postseason ban. But yeah, Merrimack College should have made the tournament and said Fairley Dickinson as the runner up in the Northeast Conference gets in. They're literally the shortest team in college basketball. That's what basketball. I was just about to say. They're they're the shortest team in Purdue has plenty of size. And you know what Zach Eady is a foot taller than their average player. <laughs> like seven foot four, nearly three hundred pounds. Player yeah, of the year. FDU, FDU's average size is six three. It's just it's insane to me that Purdue managed to lose this game. And Zach Eady one shot in the last 12 minutes. That's a, that's that's inexcusable. He's the player of the year. Even though in the NBA he'll probably be like a second round pick, it, he's still... If that, yeah. He's still, but. he's still player of the year. He's your best player. And again, you're facing the, like you said, the smallest team in the nation uh, in the tournament. Like, How about go to your big guy, your best player? It's a complete mismatch. And... He was playing well. He's probably the only guy on Purdue that really played well in that game. Yeah, I but think that's to fair not, to say. To not go to him uh, as often as they did late in the game when they needed to win that game because it was still a close game at that point, It's that's that's bad. That's really, really bad on Purdue. And then you know another thing? So when Fairley, Fairley Dickinson, how do you pronounce it, when they won their playing game, and they were on on their way to face Purdue. Their coach says, "Hey, hey, hey, guys! You know, the more I look at Purdue, like the more I think we can beat them. That should be 
bulletin board material right there for Purdue. As soon as I saw that video, I was like, all right, Purdue's winning by 25 in the first Same. round. Like, I still I didn't too. believe their chances in advancing much deeper than that. But I was, yeah, just another reason. And the fact that he said that, he called his shot as a 16 seed. And then Bailey Dickinson had like the perfect game plan. So one one complaint that I heard um, from Mark Titus specifically, Club, Club Trillion, was that teams wait way too long to pressure Purdue. They wait until, like, like in the Big Ten, they would wait until the game was already out of hand. Bailey Dickinson is right away is like, your guards suck. You can't hit threes. We're going to cause havoc. And that that's ultimately what worked. The strategy was don't let them bring the ball up the court. Double, triple team Zach Eady, whatever you have to do, make them shoot threes, and Purdue couldn't hit them. Like, this doesn't feel like a game where it's like 99 times out of 100 Purdue wins. This is the one exception. I, I do think, like, there are a lot of scenarios where they would lose this game if you kept playing it over and over. Yeah, it, that was that was definitely the most disappointing performance when it comes to the, the top teams, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I mean at least the, the, first, the first time it happened where a 16 seed beat the one, you could say, "Wow, UMBC really played well," and yeah, Virginia. We'll get to them. <laughs> is the, the <laughs> one of the worst tournament teams? U- UMBC destroyed Virginia, and I don't know. You could say like they were like a, obviously like one of the best sixteen seeds there were, and they probably underranked. But fairly Dickinson, they were. I don't know. I I look at that. I I look at Purdue way way more than 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 fair dick on, on them. Winning. Yeah, I know. I, I, I completely agree with that. I, I look, think that this is way more embarrassing that Virginia lost because right. of who they lost to. And yes, yes, Virginia was the number one overall team, but I, I feel like UMBC was a more skilled and bigger team than, than, than this 16 seed. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's totally fair to say. I think you could even make an argument that St. Peter's beating Kentucky, even though that was 15 over a two, was more of a an upset just given the the program that St. Peter's is running. Like UMBC is a they they are a high high-ish program given their conference, given their stature. Uh but yeah, just looking at FDU in the same kind of boat. Like this is a team that shouldn't have even made the tournament. They're tiny. Their strength of schedule I think was actually one of the worst, if not the worst in the entire country. There are just so many reasons that Purdue shouldn't have won this or should have won this game. Embarrassing that they lost. And I don't know how you move forward for this team. No. Because three years in a row now, they lost to a 13 seed in 2021, a 15 seed last St. year, and now a 16 seed. Yeah, and, then, and this one's yeah. by far the worst of all of them, too. Yeah, not even close. It, it's just... I... I get that Matt Painter has been there for a long time. He's had a lot of success given the caliber of Purdue's program. We talked about it last week. This team's been the two Final Fours in their entire history. It's not like this is just some decorated team that is in a, a rut at this point. But at the same time, it feels like he should be on the hot seat. It feels like you have to do something to yeah, just change what's going on because it's clearly not working. He should be on the hot seat, but I don't even know if he is. It doesn't sound like he is. It was really unfortunate what happened in 2019 when they lose at the buzzer and then Virginia wins in overtime. And who knows what would have happened if that doesn't go in and they make the final four. Like, do they go on to win the whole thing? I don't know. So it's, there's, it's there's been some possible. bad luck, yes, but these that, last few uh-huh. few years, like I said, in the tournament, they've been losing to these teams that, I mean, yeah, I know St. Pierce is awesome, but still 15 seed. And then, well, the year before it was the mean green. And and then this year was North that, Texas. That, yep. By far the worst uh, this this past uh, this past weekend losing losing to a 16 seed that wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament is definitely the the worst of all the three those losses. 
Yeah, and you can certainly look to that Virginia team that beat them as you know proof for so many reasons that you can turn things around in just one tournament. I mean, that was the ultimate turnaround with Virginia. That's, that's really the best to UOBC, but that's the best comp you can give, or like the most hopeful message you can give is that hey, look at this Virginia team that was really not a great tournament team, and then was at the lowest of lows, losing to a 16 seed, the first team at that time to do it. The very next year, they go on to win the whole thing. So there's there's a hopeful message there, but I don't know that that looked that was bad. Yeah, I I think that was like extremely fluky, and uh, it feels crazy to think that Purdue could you know turn this thing around, even just like a minor tournament run, just with the way that things are going right now. Uh, FDU only one more game for them. Yeah, uh, you know we we didn't have Florida Atlantic, we had Memphis, so that was like a little disappointing from that perspective, but. Um, yeah, that that was uh at the time the, the Memphis not getting there because how the way how that game ended that was the the game that pissed me off the most of all of them uh-huh. just the way yeah, that ended that... with the the so Memphis the the Tigers they had they were up by th- they're up by one they were the up by a point they're up yeah. by a, a point there's about 15 seconds left and then their point guard who who was dealing with an injury at the time uh, mid game he turns over the ball inexplicably. But then the ball is on the ground, and Memphis has the ball, and everyone, basically everyone on their team is calling timeout, timeout. But the refs don't see it, and they call a jump ball, and FAU gets the ball back, and then they score with you know, a few seconds left, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden you see Penny Hardaway chucking his water ball into the stands. <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, you could say both, neither of these teams deserve to win that game. That was the, the second half of the Memphis uh, FAU game was some of the worst basketball I've ever watched, uh, and yeah, it was a really it was really sloppy how they handled the you know those last couple minutes there. But at the same time, I, I do feel like Memphis got really really screwed by the refs, and I feel like the refs have. I I mean I hate being the ref guy, but the refs have sucked in a lot of these games, but especially that one. Yeah, I think that just all around, like as, as much as I've enjoyed this weekend, there has been a lot of bad basketball. There's been a lot of questionable officiating. Yep. You know, Memphis, Florida Atlantic, certainly not alone, but Com- that's a combination of both. Of <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was it. Was a lot of bad things that happened there. Um, so this is gonna sound kind of random, but did you ever play NCAA football video games growing up? I I did. Uh... When I was really, really young, I, I had a, I had a game, and it wasn't even on PlayStation Two. I had one on PlayStation One. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It was that long ago when I played, uh-huh. uh, and I and I think the others I just played at friends' house, like other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, very similar to Madden, just college teams instead of pro teams. But uh, so I was a big fan of those games. I had a, a few of them, but specifically NCAA Football '09 for the PS3. And I can't remember the name of the mode. It was like Legacy or something. But basically, you pick a player and you ex- or you create a player and you exclusively play as them throughout a college career. It puts you at the time. It puts you right in the high school playoffs and how you performed in the playoffs determine what schools you could go to. And uh, I lost. My team lost in the second round, so my options weren't all that great. But the choice I ended up making was to go to Florida Atlantic. So I was the quarterback for the Owls for four years. So I was actually rooting for FAU in this game. Part of me was like wanted to pick FAU over Memphis just for that reason alone. But I believed in Memphis's chances of 
advancing past Purdue more than See, FAU. That, that was a thing. Little did I know. Is that so? You talked about your crazy reason on rooting for FAU, and I've mentioned my crazy re- reason on rooting for Memphis. And the thing, the reason why I picked Memphis was because like, I didn't believe in Purdue. Right, I knew I knew Memphis FAU was a toss-up game looking at the spread, but who did I believe in more in terms of making a run? Definitely Memphis, the way they've yeah. been playing, and I just felt like they were the the choice to beat Purdue instead of FAU, and but didn't even matter because neither <laughs> exactly. of those teams even made the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't matter in the end. But anyway, I was rooting for FAU in that game, but I will say. That was Bush League at the end when uh, Elijah to- total Martin tried to dunk it as time expired. Oh, right. Yeah. The the last uh, second there with the, the windmill. What was it like 360 or something like that? I don't know. Whatever if the dunk it was. It was yeah. definitely a windmill. Well, yeah, yeah. The windmill dunk he had at the end. Yeah. That wasn't great. But luckily, the it looked like the coach immediately apologized. Immediately and, and, and apologized. And it looked like, yes. and it looked like FD, FDU's coach was you know, accepting his apology well as well yeah yeah i mean i i think it worked out okay there's been a lot of discourse on you know whether that's fair just the whole like oh we played all there's zero seconds on the clock and all this it's college sports sportsmanship like that's still a thing it's not soft to respect your opponents fdu was not trying to foul at that point they were accepting the game is over like i get being happy you're going to the sweet 16 it's a bit of a surprise but there are better ways to celebrate than what Martin did there so I will continue to root for Florida Atlantic but I'm not going to feel great about it because that was a really sour way for uh for that game to end I, I just dislike the first one so much more the way it's not <laughs> FAU's fault I just I just hate uh-huh. that they're still in because of how the round the first round game ended yeah no and I, I totally get that um, I probably would not feel this way about them if they didn't, or if I didn't sign with them in a video game 15 years ago. <laughs> um, anyway, they'll be playing Tennessee in the Sweet 16, and I, for one, am shocked that it's not Duke. I thought, so I remember talking about this last week on the podcast where I was like, I have Duke losing the Oral Roberts, but it's probably going to be totally different by the time I upload the episode. And almost immediately, I changed my mind. I sent Duke to the Final Four, and I thought it was pretty sound logic. If Duke could make it past Oral, then they could go all the way. But that's <laughs> turned out to not be the case. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's satisfying seeing Duke lose in the tournament. It, it doesn't matter what the situation is, especially the way it happened. I'm just getting bullied just physically outmatched by Tennessee and a huge win for Rick Barnes. Uh, you know, I think that expectations have not, you know, he hasn't been able to live up to them in the past, but in a tournament where so many people were high on Duke, even though they were the lower seed, it definitely has to feel good for him at Tennessee and just anyone who's not a fan of Duke. Doesn't matter if Coach K is not their coach anymore. It's still nice to see them go out in disappointing fashion. Yeah, that that Tennessee Wikipedia page might might actually need some editing <laughs> after the tournament, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, now I feel like they have expectations moving forward, so we'll see what happens <laughs> next weekend. But even getting there, it, it uh, is definitely nice for the Vols. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll be taking on Florida Atlantic. I think for Duke uh, this season, it's hard to fully say where they're at, just given that the ACC was so terrible. But still, winning it in John Shire's first year, it has to be somewhat uplifting, believing that as he continues to bring more and more recruits, he's going to get them 
back to the top of the country like we're used to seeing them. Yeah, I, they, they were they weren't going all the way. I did think they could make a little bit of a run, just given how they finished the season, winning the ACC. But, but I'm a little surprised they couldn't get to the, at least the Sweet 16. But again, they didn't have a lot of depth on their team. Like so, not only did they lose some star players, of course, like Paolo, Paolo, but he uh. You know, Duke. Looking at looking at their roster, like they had their entire starting lineup. You know, basically played the entire game. They had like no depth on their team, and they had uh, Mitchell. He he was he was injured uh, before the game, so he couldn't even play. And yeah, like looking at their bench, like they're ba- they barely use their bench guys at all. Like every single starter played thirty three plus minutes, and so yeah, Duke definitely didn't have a lot of depth on their team. But I'm still a little surprised they couldn't uh, at least make it to the next round. Yeah, I think especially not just beating Oral Roberts, but just blowing them out the way they did. Right. The Eagles, they didn't score until 12 minutes left in the first half in that game. Like, the Duke's defense was their calling card this year, which is not something we were used to under Coach K. I think, yeah, if they can improve not just their depth, but really just their offensive scoring, just guys who can put the ball in the basket more consistently. Like, I think that is still going to be a mantra for Duke. But if John Shire is going to preach defense, then I think this team is going to be very legit moving forward. And I don't like saying that. Right. So, um, other side of the East region, you know, there's the old saying goes, January, February, Izzo. Sparty is in the Sweet 16, seven seed. This happens all the time. Tom Izzo and Michigan State teams, like, they're not even that great. Like, no one really talks about them in the tournament, but you just know, they like, show, they have yeah, the history. They show up a lot. Occasionally will fail. And and they, and they haven't won at all in, I don't know, 20 plus years. 2000. 2000, right. But they do show up at this time of the year. And. They're the only thing that's saving me in this region <laughs> when it comes to my bracket because everything else failed. Yeah, so uh, I guess like a quick stat. So they beat Marquette in this game 69-60. to 60. Preseason rankings, I think, are something that a lot of people don't really take seriously. It's like, all right, let's see this actually play out on the court. But someone actually pulled the data. Since the tournament expanded to 64 teams, I think there have been 36 teams who have been seeded either a one seed or a two seed without being ranked in the preseason top 25. So totally exceeded expectations. None of them have made the final four. Average wins in the tournament, fewer than two. Purdue and Marquette both fit this category. Neither survived the first weekend. Wow, that's, so, that's a, it's kind of mind-blowing, but at the same time, is it? <laughs> preseason, yeah, you know, the preseason expectations mean something. Like, obviously, it's a, it's a long season, but when it comes to March and needing to win six games, like just one and done... I think just having talented players and having great coaching and like all these other factors can maybe outweigh what you were doing in January and February to get this high seed. Michigan so State did a, not shoot well from three either, and that they were one of the best three point shooting teams in the nation this year, and they didn't shoot well at all from three, but they still they still won the game pretty convincingly. It got close at the end, of course, when Marquette finally you know went on a run, but but Michigan State was still able to pull off of the win. Yeah, so Marquette was the best team in the Big East this year. They won the tournament. I think they were the regular season champ as well. Tyler Kolek, I believe, was Big East Player of the Year, and he had like his worst game. So there are so many cases where there have been teams that it's like it was more of one team lost because they were just horrible and 
didn't show up in the big moment necessarily, then the other team is that much better. Uh, but it, that is like one example. So he got uh, an early Michigan foul State, trouble too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a really bad game for him. Um, Michigan State, great. Tyson Walker was awesome. Joey Hauser, Sam's brother, yeah. another great game. It was like one of like a few revenge games, but it's also like I was at Marquette so long ago that none of the players and the coaches were there when I was there. So it's just like a totally different team. It was was what he said about it. So, um, yeah, big win for Michigan State. They're going to go up against Kansas State. And when I look at Kansas State, it's hard for me not to really love this team and in particular love the story of Keontae Johnson collapsing on the court three years ago. And now he's a star on a team in the Sweet 16 that very much has Final Four hopes. Yeah. And who, who their their point guard there, Noel? Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Marquise Noel. Noel. Yeah. He, he Marquise Noel. Yeah. Yeah. Marquise Noel. He was balling in that he game. He was yesterday. awesome in this. The, the way he had. You know, he had a couple of really good passes, and he made some really, uh, really gutsy shots too in the game. And he's like five foot eight, so he's like another Fred. <laughs> he's uh-huh. he's basically another Fred Van Vliet out there. Yeah, he's a tiny guy. As Coach Cal called him after the game, little kid. It's like okay, if you're talking about him as a little kid, then you clearly were not prepared for this one. And I think you know, as as nice of a story as this is for Kansas State, it's also you Another have to talk about Kentucky. Year for Kentucky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like you know, in the end, they were a six seed. They were still favored to win this game, but like the expectations shouldn't have necessarily been national champions as they went in the tournament like they were last year, but going out in the second round, I mean, this, this team has continued to disappoint year after year after year since that national championship with Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd girl, Chris over a decade ago now. And I think even just looking at the stats when he was being recruited by UCLA, they gave him that lifetime contract. I mean, this team missing the tournament entirely, not winning more than a game, going out in the first round in unceremonious fashion. And yeah, I mean, this year, it's just another disappointing effort. Oscar Shibway, I think he he was was the 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 only reason why Kentucky was in that game. He dominated. He was awesome in this one. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, that was huge for him. He was a little disappointing this year, but, but he was great in that game. He was, he was awesome in this one. And I think there have to be a lot of questions about Kentucky. And I, I think it's the same kind of thing when you look at Matt Painter and Purdue, where it's you're probably not going to move on from Cal because he won you a championship and he's someone who's like widely can, regarded as one of the best coaches in college basketball. But it feels like he's starting to lose a lot of the edge. Like he was great at recruiting guys. You just look at all the players who played for him. Gone a lot of one and done. NBA careers. Yeah, a lot of one and dones. But now that things are starting to even out a little for a variety of reasons with NIL, the transfer portal, even like the G league and night ceiling players. Like I think that it's, he's starting to lose a lot of those great things that have had defined him a decade ago. And it's, it's it's a totally fair point where, yeah, Yeah, you have to question like, does Kentucky need to consider a change? Seriously. One championship was back in 2012 and they had that, near undefeated run in 2015 but ever since then it's just been a lot of just a lot of disappointment in in the tournament yeah so i i think that at this point kentucky fans should very much be losing patience if they haven't already i know like this season was 
widely considered a disaster for the most part. They they did end up saving themselves a little. I know they were flirting with missing the tournament entirely before ending up as a six seed, but I think just between these like last couple years now, it's it's hard to continue to defend coach Cal and you know his Kentucky program so I don't know how you certainly gonna be a long offseason yeah right it's, it's gonna be a long offseason for them it's kind of like painter but a better reputation or, or at least a yeah, better track because of that national championship and yeah at least a better track record yeah he, he, um, he at least yeah, has so, some final four appearances uh-huh yeah so the the east region definitely uh an interesting one. I was not a fan of this at all, and I, I don't know what to expect moving forward here. I think all four of those teams can make you know legitimate chances of saying that they can advance, and I think all four of them can easily disappoint uh, as we move. Into the Flor- next Florida Atlantic would be at the bottom of of those sure, four, yeah. but I, I'm not going to completely rule them out either. Yeah. So I guess with that, let's move along with the West region now. And credit to you. You called Kansas losing to Arkansas in the second round. I don't know how much of it was just you not liking Kansas and wanting to see it happen, but it's a combination uh, of both. Like, yeah, there's definitely some f- fandom bias, but but no, I, I thought Arkansas was a team that had more upside than people realized, and so that was it's just one that I wanted to take a chance on, and luckily. Luckily, it came through. <laughs> yeah, it did. 72-71. So, big win for Eric Musselman. And I think, like, there are a couple of reasons why this was, like, actually something you could see coming. Is one is Mus, Mus Bus, whatever people want to call him. He is very much establishing himself as a legitimate coach when it comes to March. Like, not quite a Tom Izzo's level yet, but year after year, he continues to have a ton of success. And I hate saying that because I hated that... I convinced myself 2019 Nevada was going to go on a deep run just to lose in the first round because they did go on a little run in 2018. I thought they were even better when they had uh, Caleb and Cody Martin, and they broke me in that first round game. (laughs) Uh, So that was really tough. And then immediately goes to Arkansas, but he continues to have success. Took him to the Elite Eight in 2021. Last year, took him to the Elite Eight, upset Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. Now he upsets Kansas. So Arkansas, like you said, I mean, they – they have a couple of guys on their team. Who is it? Nick Smith, and then I think Anthony, one other. And then uh, Anthony, Anthony Black. Black. Yeah, neither of them did guys, anything in this game. No, no, but both of them had like high expectations coming into the season as like top NBA draft prospects. I don't know where things stand now. Uh, I think Ricky Council fourth and Devonte Davis have kind of at least in this game taken over in terms of their stars, but there's reasons like for those to be high on Arkansas and then just in general history was not on Kansas's side this is something that I like kind of had in the back of my mind but didn't fully realize it we haven't seen a national champion advance to the second round in several years now 2016 Duke that was the last time and it's so a couple cases like 2019 Villanova they were a six seed so it's hard to fault them for that and um, 2021 Virginia there was a whole year off after the tournament there was still only a four but 2017 Villanova number one overall seed they get out in the second round and then the past two years we've seen uh or yeah 20 sorry wait yeah no yeah the past two years now including this year and last year with Baylor and Kansas they weren't number one overall but they're still a one seed and had expectations and they go out in in the first weekend Yeah, Baylor lost to North Carolina just last year and then yeah and then just now Kansas loses to Arkansas and it's but it's been a while like you said 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and North Carolina was a two seed in 2018, got destroyed by A&M in the second round. So I think they can still be grouped in there. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, not a super surprising result, especially when you factor in Bill Self still didn't return to coaching. I think that's something that I just kind of assumed that he would be okay. I don't know what his situation is. It's you know certainly something to, to keep in mind maybe they when talking about this team. But Maybe they made the assumption that they could get to the next weekend without him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that he's, like, just not in good shape in, in some way. So, uh, you know, hopefully all is okay there and we see him on the sideline next year. But, yeah, I mean, it, losing your head coach for March Madness feels like a, a big loss for any team. Yeah. So not totally shocking. They're going to go up against UConn. And, you know, I, I don't know why I decided to pick Iona to upset UConn. I mean, it looked good for a half. I'll say that. Uh, but in a, a nice tribute to their uh, now former head coach, the Gales. Rick Pitino started taking out a six-year deal to St. John's. Yeah, yeah. The Gales started out strong, but uh, they couldn't last very long because that second half was, was not very good. And um, yeah, UConn, they're legit. I think that uh, they're... I think January they were horrible, but they were awesome in November, December. They were great in February, and now they're and now they're I rolling. Assume, yeah, I assume they're favorites at least make it to the lead eight and have a, a pretty strong yeah, chance of getting to yeah, the final they're, four. They're four point favorites over Arkansas. I can see yeah, any so of I these teams. I mean, we'll get to the other two teams too, but I can uh, see any of these no, teams totally making, it, making it to the final four uh, when it comes to. Arkansas, UConn, and then UCLA, Gonzaga. I can see any any of these teams. Make. I had a hard time with all four of them, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe yeah, not Arkansas as West. much, but the other three for sure. Uh, I thought the West was the most loaded region. Uh, at UCLA, they have i think another player who's maybe banged up injuries are always a question there's a last second injury too yeah yeah so that that's a little scary to see uh gonzaga you know they they pulled out a good win over tcu they got enough to slow starts though and and grand canyon they were gonna win anyway but still first half they didn't Mm -hmm. really show up and then the second half they exploded and then similar to the game yesterday where they faced tcu I, I I thought there was a point in the game where they weren't going to win. TCU had a much better first half than than Zags did, and luckily, the second half it was it was pretty much all Zags. And luckily, luckily Drew Timmy's still there. He's a legend. <laughs> uh, he's just carrying that team. He's definitely he, he's he's not a guy that's probably going to make the NBA, but he he gets the most out of his talent for sure. Yeah, I know. He definitely has a sweet setup, especially now that NIL is a big thing in college basketball to be able to, you know, make a living off of his his uh, college stardom. And we get the the long awaited rematch of Gonzaga versus UCLA. We saw it in 2006 in the Sweet 16. Remember Adam Morrison, Aaron Aflalo, and Yeah, now I remember. You know, of course. <laughs> you know what? You of know what's course, funny? I actually two years ago in the Final Four, yeah. You know what's funny <laughs> when you mentioned that days later, I actually went back and rewatched the, you know, last Last like the final last minute, seconds yeah, of that la- last minute yeah. of that game, and wow, Gonzaga really choked it away. Yeah, yeah, that was brutal. So Adam Morrison was definitely crying for a reason at the end there. Uh, but of course, yeah, two years ago these two teams met. Drew Timmy is still there. Jaime Hawkins Jr. I think Tiger Campbell was on that team. Like, it, it, there's a lot of names. Obviously, Jalen Suggs is in the NBA now, and a couple other guys, but. I think that it'll be fun seeing how these two teams play it out. And yeah, this the West region going in, I thought there were a lot of teams that could win. It could go a lot of different directions. And I haven't necessarily changed my mind after the first weekend. 
So Purdue and Kansas, two one seeds, don't survive the first weekend. The other two, Alabama and Houston, who I think were the consensus top two favorites going in, they're both in the Sweet 16. Slightly different paths for both of them. Alabama dominated Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Maryland. They're rolling heading into the Sweet 16. Houston, they beat Northern Kentucky and Auburn by double digits, but you know both of those games are scary. They really needed Northern Kentucky to die to survive that first game, and then Auburn just a dominant second half. But they were they were losing for for most of that one to start things out. So, regardless, survive in advance, and uh, their seasons are both still alive for now. Yeah, Alabama's definitely dominated their their two matchups, but Houston has not looked very sharp and. Both games, I, I didn't think they'd lose, but the fact that it was even, you know, competitive for most of the game, it still worries me about about Houston. And then if Sasser is even healthy still or not, because in the first game, he I don't think he even played the second half, or barely no, played the second half. I don't think he, he played play. in the second half. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that he still has a nagging hamstring injury, that, that, that worries me a little bit. And yeah, and then they didn't look sharp versus Auburn. I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that they're playing in Birmingham and Auburn was yeah, so clearly it was a the home very team. Very pro Auburn crowd. Uh-huh. So I don't know if that has but, to factor in at all, but I don't know. It it kind of reminds me of last year with Arizona, where okay, yeah, they made it to the Sweet Sixteen, but like how how much how much further are they are they going to go? And, and coincidentally, they lost to Houston, and I th- I think they'll still be fine, but. If I were to pick right now, at least, if I were to pick now, who would I take Houston or would I take the field? Like I would take the field. Like I don't, I don't, my, I don't feel as good about Houston as I did before the tournament started. But who knows? Maybe yeah. that can change into the next weekend. Yeah. So I, I tend to agree with that. I think the Marcus Sasser injury was something that I just kind of said, oh, he's going to play, so it's fine. Uh, obviously, it was bothering him against Northern Kentucky, and he still played fairly well against Auburn. He had five threes, 22 points in that one, but uh, there's definitely reasons to be concerned about Houston. I, I still like their chances of making it out of the region, even though you know the bottom half didn't necessarily go how I expected it to, but uh, yeah, there's certainly reasons to not feel as great about this team, and just looking at Alabama, they, they don't, their, their path is very clear compared to Houston so yeah Alabama I mean all they have to do is they got San Diego State who yeah they yeah they dominated Furman but it's Furman <laughs> it's a team remember that, I mean honestly yeah let's just talk about it like remember when Furman beat Virginia that no, was like a huge I don't, story I don't remember for that. like <laughs> it was like a huge story for like two hours and now it's like the 10th biggest like craziest thing to happen this weekend right it's, right out of the gate Madness. Second game of the tournament. Yeah, no, it, it was awesome. Just one of the insane finishes. A game that was so Virginia went up fifty to thirty eight, and I so I ended up picking Virginia to make the Sweet Sixteen. And this game, it was like I wanted to go with Furman, but my mindset was this is just this year's version of South Dakota State, who last year was like, oh, this team like they score eighty something points a game, they're gonna beat Providence, and I don't think they even broke sixty. And for a long time, it looked like that was going to happen to Furman. It was 50-38. to 38. I almost texted that to you, and I decided not to. And then Furman ends the game on a 30-17 to 17 run. Just instantly catches fire at that point. I te- I, you know me when it comes to teams that I want to win but are losing, and I always go with the Looney Tunes, yeah, that's, that's all, all folks. Or, or uh-huh. like it's in the bag. Yeah, that's all folks. Uh, I, so, uh-huh. I, I did text that to someone else when uh, Furman was yeah. losing at that point, and they magically 
went on a run, and then the wildest play ever <laughs> happened. Where, yeah, the, what a shame for Clark. what a shame for Clark because I I end up rewatching the the pass that he had, not this one, well, both of them, but the the other one in twenty nineteen. It's like yeah. that was a hell of a pass. If he doesn't do that, they're they're not they're not winning that game. And so it was great great pass for him there. But then yeah, to top it off with the the worst pass ever by launching Just, it into half court. <laughs> insane. I don't know what was going through his head at that point. And it's like <laughs> the fact that he made that great play as a freshman versus now as like a super senior just makes it even crazier. It it is one of those things that it's like they're kids like you know that when you look at it these are their college they're not professional athletes but just to do that like i don't know what he was he was thinking at just that hold point the ball. and yeah <laughs> I mean, he would have been better off no just doing what. that yeah and it, i mean naturally Furman he's picks near it out off, of bounds too. three so if they knock the ball down it could the ball probably goes out of bounds he would have been, yeah, they, honestly, he might have even been fine just not tossing it away, just throwing it out of bounds, at least giving them time to <laughs> recollect themselves instead of the madness that ensued there. But, yeah, I mean, just another another not shocking but still absolutely shocking result for Virginia and just the way it happened, but the fact that they go out in the first round. Like, every year with this team, except for that 2019 miracle run, which just proves to be even more and more of a fluke when you look at this team. Uh, just absolutely insane for this to happen, and you know, I know, I know what you mean when it comes to like, oh, this is another South Dakota State. When it comes to Furman, the combination of both you know, Furman with with uh, how their offensive stats looked uh, this year, but then also just who they're playing, the combination of both had, had me on. Like, I, I'm go, I'm pick, I'm taking Furman no matter what, no regrets. <laughs> and it was yeah, no, it, complete it luck out. that they won, uh, but whatever. <laughs> yeah it was still yeah, it I mean, was still I, amazing i i right out of the gate it was already like it was already a great yeah, moment but like second, you said uh, even though as amazing as it was like you said it probably wasn't even in the barely crossed the, the top 10 on craziest things that have happened this this weekend yeah i mean you just have to look down to the the bottom half of <laughs> right. the region and you got 15 seed princeton in the sweet 16 third year in a row that we've had a 15 seed in the sweet 16 and you know, I've I've been struggling with how I feel about this, but I can't help but feel like 15 seeds winning over two seeds is becoming no hitters. In see, baseball. I think, see, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I I always think it's awesome no matter what, but it is trending to a point where, like, man, it, it really is like you said, turning into no hitters. Where it's 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 cool and it's it's still awesome no matter what, but it is becoming a real trend and. It even crossed my mind in building brackets. Like I gotta look at these fifteen seeds now because. Right, do you keep, have to pick one now? I, I, see, I was thinking about that b- before the tournament started. Like, oh, like which fif- which fifteen seed do I like? And I'm like, I don't like, I didn't really like any of them. So I still went with all two seeds. But now it's really becoming a trend, and I still think it'll take a lot for me to pick a fifteen seed. To it has to be a lot of things. It has to be like. Well, Furman, Virginia, or something like that, or or St. Peter's first Virginia, or a team like it has to be a team like Arizona, Virginia, or Purdue, who are they, these choking teams in the tournament versus a team with like I don't know, great offense, cool name. It has to be a, a bunch of things for me <laughs> Which, to take a fifteen. Princeton, seed. Princeton Tigers. I don't know if they necessarily fit the billing of you know cool name. I like know, awesome but like when when and... you're picking a fifteen seed, you you I feel like there has to be a lot of reasons for for you to pick it. Yeah, and I, I I look at 
Princeton, just like going back to the Arizona game, like obviously, look, I get it. I pick Arizona. I buy into them for whatever reason, and they just make me look like the biggest idiot. Princeton didn't even play well in that first game. Arizona just absolutely sucked in this one. I think Princeton ended the game on a 9-0 run, and Arizona just couldn't do anything down the stretch. It wasn't like you look at some of these other upsets where these teams, they just get really hot, and yeah, the two-seed has some struggles, but... 59 to 55 like that's not a score that you should lose to a, a 15 very similar by. to the purdue game where was mm-hmm. it the opponent or was it really or was like, it the team yeah the team like I, I would go with the 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 team disappointing like, i look at arizona yeah. purdue like they i look at them way more i guess that's the case no matter what but the way that game went i, I would i would look at arizona it's not like it's not like a Florida Gulf Coast or or, or oh, where yeah, just or, a Dunk City going crazy right. or, or Roberts, or Roberts over awesome. Ohio State. Like that was a really uh, high scoring game that went to overtime. I look at yeah, I look at those like oh wow, the opponent was awesome. But yeah, and, those and, are and like even St. Peter's fifteen seeds, uh, but t- taking Kentucky to overtime and like a relatively high scoring game. Right. So I look at the 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 the, the opponent or that pulled out the upset. Like wow, they're actually really skilled for a fifteen seed, but. Like these two games of Purdue and, and Arizona, like I look at them, like wow, <laughs> like you guys, your guys are the <laughs> ones that blew it in this game. Yeah, well, and then that all that being said, in the Tigers versus Tigers battle in the second round, Princeton actually looks like a good team. So you know, it, at least their win over Missouri was more about Princeton being good than Missouri also being bad. Right. So yeah, I, I feel uh, like I they guess- played much better in that game. Yeah, so one comment, Mitch Henderson, the head coach of Princeton, I see this guy and I'm just like, he looks like a professor at the school. He doesn't look like a head coach. It's like, this is classic. Like, this is basically like your your high school when like your math teacher is your basketball coach. The same thing is happening at Princeton, which is another reason you're like, how the hell did Arizona lose to this team? Turns out Mitch Henderson actually played at Princeton, was on a team that upset UCLA like 25 years ago. So uh you know little did i know and who is it blake peters i think he was the one who made the kevin garnett anything possible reference i i can't get a read on the team i don't think i like them though like i think other 15 seeds like last year i was all in on st peter's oh, come on. i was all in on oral roberts yeah, oh, yeah i was all in on st peter's the Peacocks. i don't think princeton's in the same boat for me I, unfortunately. I i unfortunately kind of agree with that <laughs> uh because the that peacocks team like they were very very likable team to to root for and they pulled off some great games it wasn't even just kentucky it was murray state uh, a popular seven seed for people and then and then and then purdue even though a choking team is still impressive win. <laughs> uh-huh. but i yeah, agree, I agree with you that, that they're more like the the peacocks were more likable than yeah like princeton but i don't know that that one guy that they're you mentioned, the anything uh, is possible yeah. guy. but i don't know <laughs> They're, they're Ivy League. I think that's like a, a genuine thing. You got to remember what, about that team, especially like so they they're a, a lower quality conference just because of, you know, not having scholarships and all that stuff. But they, they still have amazing facilities and everything like this isn't just some like out of nowhere team. They just happen to be a 15 seed instead of like a 13 or a 14. Yeah, they're an Ivy so. League. So they're so naturally they're going to be people that hate them like, like mm-hmm. uh, the Mina Kimes on ESPN. She she tweeted out, "Great win by a likable underdog today." Oh, and also Princeton, because <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. she went to yeah. Yale. So the, yeah, yeah, they're going up against Creighton, who um, you know they they beat NC State, so that was that was a nice little win for them. 
Um, I got a little nervous about that. I was actually with a bunch of NC State fans at a bar watching the game. My friend, he was like, hey, do you want to watch NC State game with me? I was like, I'm a UNC fan. I'm going to be rooting for Creighton. You sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah. I was like, all right, fine. And like he said, we're going to go somewhere. Oh, there aren't going to be many NC State fans there. Like They're going to be more if we go somewhere else. I was like, okay, sure. Sure enough. Tons of NC State fans. They're just obnoxious, like trying to get like wolf pack chants going and all this stuff. So I was uh I was not disappointed like most of the You probably had the time lost. of your life seeing everyone there <laughs> be sad. Yeah. Well yeah, I mean it it was nice. It, it there have definitely been more fun experiences to be in like that. It was just like whatever. If they had won, who cares? They were playing Creighton, but um, it, it was it was nice to to see some disappointed NC State fans. I won't lie about that. Um, and then I guess, you know, going back to Houston's region. So like the last thing I guess is kind of a good transition here. So I was watching the Pitt Iowa state game at the same time as NC state. So not only was I not cheering with, uh, NC state, I was not being obnoxious about it, but I was very much clapping at the, the rare time that Pitt scored. That was one of the, the worst games of college basketball I've ever that, This is another Pitt game that up- really sucked. Iowa state had, it, it took them 10 minutes to get a field goal. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was insane. Like it's one thing to be Virginia on offense; it's something to be Iowa State. <laughs> they scored forty-one points. Yeah, Pitt is two even points a great in defense. the first ten minutes of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and and Pitt is like it wasn't like so they they got out to this like twenty-one to two lead. It wasn't like they were making a ton of shots. They were hitting a lot of free throws. Both of these teams sucked. I think at one point in the second half, Pitt was two for 20. Iowa State was one for 20. It was one of the worst games to watch. On top of that, Pitt is wearing the ugliest uniforms ever. They have amazing pirates out there. (laughs) Yeah, amazing blue and gold colors. They're wearing this black, just a big P on the front. Just terrible look. I was glad they pulled it out. It was funny seeing Iowa State suck like they did. Pitt has some likable players. Like they were a fun team, but you know, that, that was painful to watch. And uh, they end up losing to Xavier in the second round. Penn State knocks off Texas A&M and upset. I had the Aggies advancing deep in my bracket. I Penn trusted State them a little more than from Penn three State, but at all. especially Andrew Funk, eight for ten from three, just like an incredible game for him. They put up a better fight against Texas than Pitt did against Xavier. It was like one of those games which I've seen so many times this year where the team wins without making a field goal in the last like 10 minutes of the game. Xavier just (laughs) couldn't make a shot, but they were up so much that just free throws and a ton of Pitt misses were enough for them to survive. Xavier probably should have lost to Kennesaw because Kennesaw outplayed them for most of the game. But then then Uh the last, I don't know, five minutes or so... they five. just caught on fire. Yeah. Like Kennesaw, Kennesaw didn't do anything in the last uh, five minutes plus. And while Xavier finally woke up and couldn't miss anything. And then, and then, yeah, verse Pitt, that game was over within the, the first few minutes of the game. I was like, wow, this is going to be a waste mm-hmm. of time. And then, yeah, yeah. Pitt somewhat made it a comeback, uh, but it was really just, oh, now it's a 10 point game. It, it never mm-hmm. really got closer than that. So w- when it comes to Houston, I, I told you the first game and, the beginning of the second game, like, oh man, this team is not winning at all. But you know, one thing that would give me confidence on them still having a chance, especially getting out of the their region, is that you know they finally they caught fire in that second half versus Auburn. But another thing is they're not in the toughest region. It's just like yep. looking at the rest of the region. It's okay, okay, Miami. Miami was hot versus Indiana yesterday from three, so maybe they'll maybe they could give them a scare. But looking at the other two teams, t- Texas and Xavier, yes, they're. They're the two and three seeds, and they both made it, but they both had moments where it's like, oh, man, 
Like Xavier, especially, like I just said, they almost lost to Kennesaw and then I don't know. Uh, yeah. They almost lost to Kennesaw and then Texas, both games, Colgate wasn't that big of a scare, but Penn state, they were in it for, for nearly the entirety of that game. And yep. I don't know. I, I guess, I guess that would give me more hope for Houston making, making it to the final four is that the rest of their region isn't particularly strong. Maybe I would maybe Texas, but yeah, I, I think Texas is, is still has to be viewed as a threat. Like right. they're a very good team. I don't, I don't view, I mean, Miami and Xavier, a lesser extent, I guess, but yeah, Texas, I feel like is the only real threat to, to Houston in the region. Yeah, well, Miami, it depends on what version of them comes out. And I think particular version of Isaiah Wong, ACC Player of the Year, I thought it was funny. Like, I picked Miami over Drake. I said, he's going to be the tiebreaker. He's going to be awesome. He scored five points against Drake, but then he had 27 against Indiana, and naturally, Miami scores 85 total. So I think that's what it's going to come down to with that um, Houston-Miami game. And then, yeah, Texas Xavier, both of those teams, like, they had one game where they looked solid for the most part, and then one game where they looked really questionable. So it, it's the same thing with all three of those teams where it's like, which version are you going to get? But at the same time, Houston had three not very good halves and one amazing half. So, you know, are we going to see that one amazing half translate in Vegas? Or is it going to be more of the, yeah, or is it gonna the be early the, showing? The first three halves uh, they had for yep. <laughs> the first couple of games, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see how it all plays out. Uh, very fun first weekend, and you know we'll see if the second weekend provides a, a lot of similar drama and upsets and and uh, I think hopefully it's just to, overall it's, better it's, basketball. It's hard to beat. Well, overall basketball, I feel like that's a guarantee that there'll be better yeah. basketball because <laughs> there, there was some look. Look, I. I, I follow the NBA more, but I love this time of the year when it comes to college basketball, as many people do. Apparently, CNN had this thing where th- there's $17.3 billion lost in productivity for employers. I saw that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, people give people the day off or week off <laughs> during this time uh, because people aren't going to really be working. Uh, no. Gonna, oh, no. Yeah, you're filling out brackets. You're filling out your you're brackets. And then when the, when, the ter- when the tournament starts, you're, they're looking on their phone, their laptop, and watching the games. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, so yeah, it's a fun time of the year for college basketball. So during this time, I liked college basketball way more. But at the same time, it's like I know deep down, like the the level of uh, play compared to the NBA is not nearly as good. Because like, in the nowhere, NBA, the, nowhere the off, close. In the NBA, they don't play defense, which which I kind of hate. But in in college, like the offenses can be really hard to watch sometimes. Like yeah, I know. I always love the argument: is games are lower scoring because they actually play defense in college. Part, like, of, no, part of that I think is true, but part of it is also like, <laughs> man, some of these teams offensively suck. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think the uh, Pitt Iowa State game was because of lockdown tight no, defense. No. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, let's uh, let's let's move on here with just a few more topics to wrap this one up. So NFL free agency is still a thing. Um, you know, there have been a, a lot of signings and news in the last few days, but I think there's one that particularly stands out from this podcast perspective that we'd like to talk about, and that is your New England Patriots signing my once former favorite player, Juju Smith-Schuster, to a three-year deal, and. I can like genuinely confirm that I felt sick to my stomach when I saw this news. Like it was, it was just something that I wasn't 
prepared for at all. I wasn't prepared um, for that I, either. <laughs> I, I don't know why I wasn't because he was a free agent. The Patriots were obviously a team who would be interested in wide receivers. And I think there have been talks of Juju to the Patriots in the past couple of years. And I just assumed he was going to sign with the Chiefs. But yeah, I mean, you broke the news, the news to me. Uh, when I when I saw that text that you sent saying it, it was I felt a pit in my stomach. It was like seeing, uh, you know, popping up Instagram and seeing an ex post a, a picture with her new boyfriend was like the, the feeling that I had because this is a guy that I love and now he's playing for the Patriots who I do not love. And, uh, you know, I, I hope you enjoy him as much as I did, but I have a feeling that you're not, all, you know, all that excited about, this news either i don't i don't hate the move i just i don't i don't think juju sucks i just i i don't love i don't love it uh i don't hate it but i don't love it it's just yes they need a replacement for myers but part of me thinks like why couldn't they just bring back jacoby myers or why couldn't they bring basically the exact same why couldn't they bring back both i just yeah it was the same exact contract basically and and then jacoby myers put out on Twitter, yeah, cold world, LOL. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I, I don't know what happened with that situation. I, I think it's really surprising to me that Bill Belichick would prefer Juju over a guy who's been in-house and been Yeah, yeah in-house, reliable, works his ass off. I, so I just find Jacoby Myers a more, I, I'm, I'm very likable. I, I was a, like a fan favorite for me. While Juju, I, I, I just think it's a sexier name when, when you hear the, when you hear his name uh, compared to Myers, where where Juju's had more flash, and yes, he's technically more explosive, especially yards after the catch. But I just isn't an upgrade, maybe. But I don't I don't think it's this massive upgrade. I think it's a marginal upgrade at best, which I know sounds crazy, but it's a long way from that 2018 season he had, where he had like one of the best seasons uh, at wide receiver in the league at that point. But you know, last year he was on a team that had the best offensive minded head coach with in the best offense with the best quarterback. And he couldn't, he, he was honestly, he was, I mean, yes, he was pretty good in the Super Bowl and other games, but as a whole, looking at the season as a whole, I don't think he was, he was not nearly as good as I thought he'd be. And I worry that he's not the same play. I still think he's pretty good, but I, I just don't think he's the same player as he was years ago. And now he's going to be the number one guy or at least for now, at least for now, <laughs> maybe they get, maybe they trade <laughs> yeah, for Hawkins, we'll maybe they trade uh, for Judy. Who Jay knows? Judy or, but yeah. for for now, he's now looked at as the number one guy in the offense, and teams are gonna have focus more on him than than he had because because when he was with the Steelers, more of the attention was Antonio Brown, and then when he was with the Chiefs, in 2018, and yeah. easily his best season, like those first two years, his two best seasons, he was playing next to Antonio Brown, right. one of the greatest wide receivers ever, and then and, and then this past season, yes, he's the number one wide receiver but who's really the number one target it's kelsey it's travis kelsey but even I mean, you look at his numbers look i can i can actually shit on juju now that he plays for the patriots <laughs> and he's no longer someone i want to root for on the field uh 73 catches 930 yards three he didn't touchdowns even reach a all yards. off the top of my head yeah and that, patrick mahomes i believe led the league in passing yards i mean he was spreading the ball around to a lot of guys juju was he was really another name in that offense i think he's someone who helped i think that i mean obviously it worked out with them winning the super bowl i like kind of how they decided to replace tyree kill with a bunch of several different names and different skill types but yeah i think there's a lot of reasons to question whether juju is truly a number one wide receiver his play clearly dropped off when he was no longer playing with, you know, Ben Rossberger pre-elbow injury and then alongside Antonio Brown. 
uh, you know, when the, the quarterback play dropped off and when the wide receivers around him dropped off. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe Mac Jones is going to be better this year. I still think he's a long way from, you know, the you know Big Ben of the Killer Bees days. And there's no one on that roster that's close to Antonio Brown. Even if they bring in a guy like Hopkins or Judy, it doesn't feel like the, they're far and away than the wide receiver one above Juju. It'll make me feel better about the move if they do bring in a Hopkins or a Judy because they'll, you know, have more attention on less attention on Juju. But I I just think if, if he's really going to be the guy, I don't I don't love it. I don't it doesn't make them that much better. Like, look at the other three teams. They're they're definitely uh, once Aaron Rodgers finally gets traded to the Jets, they're all, all three of them. I would take over the Patriots uh, at this point. Uh, and that's just assuming <laughs> yeah, they I mean- don't upgrade the wide receiver position more because like i've said over and over again that born parker and and now juju like they're they're all they're all nice players and then juju to a larger extent is is better than those guys but none of them none of them are number one wide receivers and i like the kasiki move they signed him true yeah they, they so they signed him and they can run more two tight end plays more two tight end sets especially uh you know, now that they have Bill O'Brien back, he likes to run those kinds of offenses. And 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 I don't know if Kasicki will be great. I don't think I don't think he'll be, but he's better than John Smith. He's definitely an upgrade over John Smith. I guess the it's, one it's impossible for him not right, to be. Right, it's impossible to be that bad. But I will say, uh, I remember years ago when they had Gronk. They also signed Scott Chandler from the from the Buffalo Bills, and he was a guy that oh that hurt the Patriots a lot and in multiple games and so when they brought him in i was like oh cool he's gonna be the second tight end he'll be a factor and he was useless <laughs> with the Patriots. i totally forgot about that name yeah yeah that's a name to bring up so long ago but so i guess i worry about that with kasiki because i remember with the dolphins like before they had tyreek and waddle well before mike mcdaniel was right before he because... was there kasiki was the guy and he would actually yeah. play really great against the patriots including that week 17 game where in 2020 or, or the 2019, 2020 2019. season. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, they needed this two seed. Uh, they needed to win the last game. And then all of a sudden, Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, led him on a drive, and Kasiki got the touchdown and gave the Chiefs the two seed instead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Devontae Parker also had, like, one of his best games. That too. As a Dolphin. And now they're, they're both on the Now Patriots, they're both together. But... Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I do like the the Kasiki move for the most part. Uh, I think, you know, you you're trying to get what you thought you had when you signed Smith and Hunter Henry at the same time. But with Kasiki, I think he's someone, the reality is he's a pass catching tight end. He's not someone who's going yeah, to be he's not, he's not a blocking tight whatsoever. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, they need, they need more pass catchers. <laughs> You know. Yeah, so I think I think it's a solid move for for the Patriots. But overall, I understand the idea that just looking at Rossi talent alone, the Patriots are four out of four in the AFC East, assuming that the Packers and Jets can work out an Aaron Rodgers trade, which feels like it should happen, but it hasn't yet. So. <laughs> it has. I don't know what's taking. For, I think I think I, I think Rodgers is intending to play with the Jets. It's just the compensation. I think Green Bay is just asking for too much. Like there have been reports yeah, about well, they want two first round picks. Like no, just uh-huh. just whatever, whatever it is, one first rounder, one second, whatever it is, just just figure it out. <laughs> like, I, there, there's a lot. Turn of the complications page. Move on. That. A lot of that is because of Rogers and like this uncertainty of how long the Jets are going to have him and not wanting to give away too much. But the Packers also not wanting to just 
give away, you know, arguably the best quarterback in their storied history. So, yeah. But regardless, there's plenty of reasons to feel down about the Patriots roster as a whole, especially look at the receiver tight end room. It's like they have a lot of names, you know, guys that can maybe do well here and there, but they don't have a Tyree kill. They don't have a Stephon Diggs. They don't even have a Garrett Wilson. Right. Garrett Wilson was awesome in his, in his first year. And he was freaking Zach Wilson was throwing to him too for for, (laughs) Uh for a lot of the year. So if you can, if you can put up the production he did last year with, with with Zach Wilson and then uh, I love I like Mike White but he's a backup uh, who's on Miami coincidentally, uh, yeah if, if Garrett Wilson can put up those kind of numbers with them I'd I'd imagine he'll put up great numbers uh, with if Rodgers were there so yeah the, the Patriots don't they're they're a it's a solid or decent roster but they don't have a lot of playmakers or studs on their team it just like. Uh, Wherever you look, uh, defensively, I think after Judon, it's a huge drop off to whoever that next best guy is. Especially with you know McCory retired, and I don't. Know, I guess Jonathan Jones would be that next best player, but I don't know. Marcus Marcus Jones was great, and at times he was the best receiver on the team. Uh, but yeah, just not a lot of stud players, and all three teams in their division are only getting better, which is just not a good look for them. It's just. These 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 past three seasons, I remember. So for the first year with Cam Newton, like I get it, it you know, you're in the rebuild mode, like okay, like that first year, I get it. But it's now three years, and you still don't have a playoff win. It's 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 uh it's not looking good right now uh, for the Patriots. Yeah, it gets frustrating when you you go on long droughts like that. I mean, I I can definitely speak uh, as a Steelers fan how painful it is to go a long time without a playoff win and. Uh, I guess just talking about them a little. So speaking of, you know, the Patriots and the Dolphins, one of their their bigger moves the last week was signing Alandian Roberts uh, as a wholesale changes to the middle linebacker room. So Miles Jack, one of the big uh, free agent stories of last year, he was cut. Not necessarily that he was a bad player. He just didn't make splash plays and he dealt with an injury for most of the year and just wasn't worth what the Steelers were paying him. Devin Bush, former first round pick. I was very excited about him in 2019. Tears his ACL in 2020. Never the same player. He signs with Seattle. Robert Spillane backup signs with the Las Vegas Raiders. And now Len Roberts and Cole Holcomb come in as the two Steelers linebackers. And I, I like that both of these guys want to come to Pittsburgh. I think they're going to be great locker room presence. I think Holcomb was a captain on the Commanders this year. Roberts, he's in his eighth season in the league. I know you're familiar with him from his time in New England. He's like, I am built to be a Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker, which is really cool to hear him say. Uh, but I also have just doubts of like, is the linebacker realm really that much improved? You know, I wanted Tremaine Edmonds. I wanted TJ Edwards. I wanted a, a bigger name. And there were a lot of other linebackers. Tr- tr- that felt... Tremaine Edmonds got way too much money though from the bears. Yeah, no. And I get that. But like he was, he got overpaid, but other guys got underpaid. And it's just like, I feel like they would have been better names and just like the whole idea of like bringing in like a splashy type player to that uh, position because having a middle linebacker in Pittsburgh was a staple for a long time just like a stud guy and it's been now it's, it's not, been a long it's time since yeah. yeah I mean really the Ryan Shazier injury that just have not been able to find uh, the guy the, it looked like f- Devin Bush for a while but un- unfortunately that was the first thing that popped in my mind once you said linebackers they've yeah have they've been missing it's like geez i can't can't help but go back to that injury because because uh he was obviously great until that point yeah no he he would 
looked like he would still be a star at this point in the league, or you know, at least you know, for the past couple of years. And uh, it's it's very unfortunate that you know that happened, and then it's it feels like it's taken way too long to to fix it. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers use a relatively high draft pick on a middle linebacker still, but uh, they you know at least have two starters in place for this year, which is good. And then the other thing, the second straight offseason, spending a lot of money on the interior offensive line last year was Mason Cole and James Daniels. This year, it was um, the Herbig guy and now Isaac Sayamalu, who three years, 24 million. Now, PFF, I'm not a huge fan of them in general, but when it comes to offensive linemen, I don't know if there's a better way to tell who's good and who's not than just their stats. And they had him ranked as the 10th best offensive lineman in the entire league playing for the Philadelphia yeah, Eagles. They, who the were... Eagles uh, dominated uh, as an off, as an O-line last year. Yeah. Yeah. Very, I mean, very easy to argue that to, they were to the, the best. Po- to the so. point where that rule where, you know, pushing the quarterback <laughs> on, uh, on, on third and short or fourth and short, I'd imagine will be taken away. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think so. I think that's definitely going to come up at least at the owners' meetings next week. Uh, but yeah, I I love the signing. It feels like a steal. Like feels too good to be true. Just like hearing how good he was and only making eight million AAV. So one thing uh, I read that he missed twenty one games combined in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, but he didn't miss snap last year. So you know, obviously, if the you know everything's checked out physically wise with his health like that feels like a really good signing and the, the Steelers offensive line is better maybe, last maybe year it, but maybe it helps that he played on an O-line that had Kelsey and, and Lane Johnson yeah right they're like a lot those of guys, two guys around are, him are bona fide stud uh-huh. O-linemen and so, so maybe he benefited from that but the Steelers need any help that they can get on their O-line yeah yeah and I still think like offensive tackle is going to be a priority in the draft but you know, I, I like the idea of spending money on proven guards and free agency and then hoping to nail a, a left tackle of the future, though seeing a guy like Orlando Brown sign for less than expected with Cincinnati, like I know he would have been nice to to bring in as a left that's tackle. That's a great move for Cincinnati. They're desperate for that's well it's another team, but I feel like they're more desperate because see the Steelers are a fringe playoff team. The Bengals are a Super Bowl favorite and mm-hmm. one thing that's always held them back is is that and now they have a for sure proven uh, stud left tackle now you would think they thought that about Lael Collins last year and he was cut after one season but Orlando Brown yes yeah, he but is Orlando Brown's proven, in the Chiefs and he and he was uh-huh. top one of the top ta- left tackles on the market so I I, I don't know yeah. I just I like that move more than I don't know Lael Collins was cl- closer to the end of his career so I get that's why well, he also just had the injury well, history that too, with yeah. him. That, that that was the big thing for him. So, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I think there's still be a handful of moves that come in here and there, but we're definitely getting to the point where the the big big things that happen will be related to the NFL draft. So, definitely something to look forward to. A little over a month from now. Um, Sooner than that, we have Major League Baseball opening day coming up next week. Uh, but for the time being, there has been a, a lot of drama and controversy around the World Baseball Classic. Particularly, uh, a lot of it has been based on Edwin Diaz suffering an injury, all-star closer for the New York Mets, while celebrating a win for Puerto Rico. And it feels like 
the the biggest takes around the World Baseball Classic right now are should this continue to happen? See, so I guess what are your thoughts on this event as a whole? Well, first of all, th- that's the most Mets thing ever. Like oh, for, I agree. for the Mets, if any to, team for that to happen? For, yeah, too. if any team's going to happen to it's the Mets uh, to to spend the money that they did in free agency, and then all of a sudden <laughs> they lose their twenty million dollar closer <laughs> on on a celebration in an exhibition game. It's just the most Mets thing ever. But what do I think about it? So I personally, as fans, it's it's I I just think it's a waste of time. But the players love it. They're passionate about it. You know, a lot of players they probably think like, "Hey, I'm never going to be in a World Series. Like, I'm, I might as well." <laughs> this is like, this is the biggest moment, yeah. this baseball moment, uh, or biggest baseball stage I'll ever be in. Uh, a lot of these players probably think that, and I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm not, I don't love it, but. It, it's just an American thing because I think I feel like Puerto Rico or Japan or whomever Cuba, like they love this stuff. They live it up. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the World yeah, Baseball a Classic. lot of the other countries definitely and, and do. When it comes to the injury, like oh, if, if they didn't have the this, like he wouldn't have gotten injured. They, they should get rid of it. it. It can happen in spring training too. Yeah, not necessarily the not celebration, thing, but injury, but an injury. Yes. Baseball is known for fluke injuries. They happen all the time. <laughs> Just like some of the craziest things that have nothing to do with playing baseball. One that I'll always remember, uh, former Pirates closer Joel Hanrahan, when he was he signs with the Red Sox, and then he like tears a ligament in his hand opening a bottle of shampoo in the shower, and he's never the same pitcher again. Like that's that's the kind of thing that you only hear about that in baseball. It's just insane to me, like how all these injuries happen. So I don't think it's really any different from that. So I I understand some of the reactions to it and trying to downplay it, especially from an American type perspective. But I don't know. I love the idea of any event that pits nations against each other in a sport that I care about. It's not like the FIFA World Cup, but World Baseball Classic is it's not like that significantly uh, as much of a drop off. I will say I haven't been really watching the games as much, but I've still been tuning in to highlights. I've still been figuring out what's going on. I'm probably going to watch the USA in the final on Tuesday. Yeah, night, I, I haven't watched it either. And I, I, even I mean, part of it's college basketball, but even if college basketball, yeah, college like, basketball is that's part of it. But like even so, like, I probably still wouldn't watch. But I've seen some highlights, you know, especially Trey Turner. Trey Turner has been awesome. He's yeah. been awesome, and the players are really into it, and so that, that, that's good for them. And I, as a fan consumer, I I don't personally care, but it's cool that the players are into it. And I just think the idea of uh, oh, like Edwin Diaz, you know, he wouldn't have gotten hurt if if uh, if they didn't have. I mean, yeah, they didn't have this event, but. Like you said, fluky injuries happen. It just I, I don't he could know. have gotten hurt in so many other ways. Yeah. So it's spring training yeah. happens. But, <laughs> but then at the same time, there are so many people who like the really avid baseball fans who like care way more about the World Baseball Classic than March Madness, which just seems crazy to say. I love baseball still, but not even close. They're just like everything they tweet about is like, oh, like, oh, meaningless game. Keith Olbermann, like all just shut up. I agree. Who cares? Move on. It's been a week. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's it's, I there are so many takes like that where it's like early on i'm like yeah this is stupid like i'm on this side but then i just get annoyed by both sides of it and people just talking about it and that that's how i feel about See, this in the one beginning, it's like just enjoy the games like who stop having to say oh it's a meaningless exhibition like haha joke 
because you're mad about this still. See, I I felt like that in the very beginning. I still do, kind of, but it's it's to the it's to the point where both sides. It's just it's just annoying. Like, I I don't mm-hmm. I don't care that much or hate it that much. Like I don't just I don't care about it. But just comment on the games as they are. Don't yeah. bring up the fact that oh like oh these players they don't actually like care. It's a, just a meaningless exhibition game. Just shut up. Who cares? Yeah. It's Keith Olbermann. Why does he live rent free in your head? Of all the people, how does Keith Olbermann have any kind of pull in twenty twenty three? Oh man, he's he's the worst too of anybody. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's so. just any any opinion he has. <laughs> it doesn't matter what sport it is. It, his his opinions always suck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they're they're always horrible. I think he's someone who was awesome back in the '90s before we really got to appreciate I know. him. And now I, he's I, just old man yelling at clouds on Twitter. I remember. Yeah, I'm, I remember seeing clips of him then. I'm thinking like, well, how did he turn into the guy he is now? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I I have no idea on that one. I would need someone who's who's older and more experienced with Keith O to to comment. Uh, but then the last thing to to talk about here, so kind of exciting news uh, in the nostalgia depart- department. Nickelodeon is coming out with a sequel for Good Burger too. It got greenlit. Apparently, going to start production in May, and I think it'll be out sometime either later this year, or early next year. That's kind of exciting, right? I've seen it a couple times. I gotta say, the first time. I watched it. I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to hate this. I don't know. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I did not think I was going to like it a ton when I first like, watched it. Like, yeah, is it, it stupid? And... Like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. To the point, I remember talking about it on an episode with, with you guys on. I forgot what game it was, but I remember I mentioned that, like, oh, I was flipping for, back and forth between this and good burger <laughs> i do kind of remember you saying that yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i was like good burger like yeah I, I i end up watching it again yeah so that's cool yeah that i the- mean i have yeah i have my doubts about it because i assume it's going to be like a kid's like production uh, i think like any time i've tried to go back and enjoy things from when i was a kid as an adult it just it's not the same right my humor is more evolved than when i was 10 years old mm-hmm. but it is cool that keenan and keller are both coming back for this right i guess th- this so. is not the best comparison but i love dumb and dumber but yeah i heard dumb and T- dumber 2 was so bad that it, it didn't even motivate me to watch the movie like i would just probably hate it if, if everyone else did so I guess I want yeah, to hear. I, that, I want to hear other people's opinions first before I watch uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm guessing that this is a sequel that's going to just try to capitalize off nostalgia and drive sales that way. I mean, it's coming out in Paramount Plus, so it's just if you you have to be subscribed to to that to see right. it. I'm sure it'll air on Nickelodeon someday. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it was a cool story when I saw that. But I was like, I don't really have an immediate reaction to this. You know, I might check it out, like you said, if it if it gets good reviews. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it's like, yeah, we're too old to enjoy this. Yeah, that wouldn't so. surprise me either. Yeah. All right. So that that's all I have for this one. Um, I was I was impressed. I I thought that we had a lot of content and we would be maybe cutting it close to that two hour limit, but. We actually had like a an on target time for this episode for the first time in forever. It feels like so. <laughs> yeah. Uh. D- yeah. Definitely proud of us. You know. We'll we'll see. I don't know how we're gonna record our next episode, but it will. Uh. 
more college basketball, recapping the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, looking ahead to the Final Four. We'll see. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will officially be a Jet, and we can talk about that in the uh, the actual present tense instead of the future tense. We'll see what happens with Lamar. Sure, there'll be other stuff. Opening day coming up, so you know we can maybe give a little baseball preview, give our predictions for who is going to win the division and everything. And uh, yeah. So it'll just me be it'll it'll just be me shitting on the Red Sox, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Yeah. So for my co-host Brian Wells, I'm Corey Thanks everyone. 